I recognize that this is a significant amount of public money. However, we believe this is the least costly alternative considering the depth of the economic crisis and the options that we face. Shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from 9 to 5 Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Laura Conaway. The time is about 4.18 p.m. here in New York City. That was Robert Nardelli you just heard. He's the CEO of Chrysler, and he spent the day today testifying before the Senate Banking Committee on Capitol Hill. He went there not in a jet this time, but in a car. A hybrid car. No less. Yeah, I think they all did, right? All the... Uh, all the car company executives. Roll out the green. Yeah. Well, we are continuing our theme, our weekly theme this week. It is what is a job? And uh, you're in a minute. We'll be playing an interview that it was a good interview. Don't get me wrong, Laura. I like the interview with uh, a prominent economist. But it was a little frustrating because I learned that there is no simple answer to this question that I would like a simple answer to. How many people have jobs in this country and how many don't? That should be easy. Yeah, it's not easy at all to figure that out. Okay, first, give me a Planet Money indicator. Adam, I think you have one that is right on theme. Yeah, well, today the uh, U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics at the Department of Labor released the initial claims for jobless benefits, basically people filing for unemployment insurance. Last time, new new people first just got laid off. Right, who just filed their first claims in the last week, not this week. Um, There were 509,000 of those people. That sounds like a lot. It is a lot, but let's put this in a little bit of context. First of all, it was less than expected. Uh, it, uh, the consensus view among economists who have views about these things was that it would be 540,000. And in fact, this was the first time in the last month that the number went down, that fewer people were claiming unemployment benefits. So does that mean we're sort of pulling out of the recession? Yeah, wouldn't that be that would nice? Be good. Yeah, no, not so me. quick. No, okay. Um, the First of all, this is one week of data. And uh, most of the economists that I've read analyzing this today said this was probably a weird aberration and that almost certainly next week we'll be back to the unrelentingly grim rise in jobless claims. Often one week will be messed up just by weather if there's really bad weather in a few populated cities. Thanksgiving might Thanksgiving have done it. Thanksgiving might have done it. And this gets us into this interview I was just telling you about because – now you're going to frustrate me. Now, well, I'm going to interest you. I'm going to fascinate you, okay. hopefully, or not me, but Carl Case, who's an economist at Wellesley College. He's particularly famous because he's the case in the Case-Shiller Home Index. That's sort of the benchmark index of home prices. And uh, lucky for us, he also studies employment statistics. And the first thing he said is, before you look at today's numbers, know that we'll know a lot more tomorrow. Tomorrow, you get a much more detailed picture of what jobs were lost. And and there are two big surveys that we do. One is the establishment survey, which is quite broad, gets data from a variety of sources, represents thousands of firms, and it's on payroll jobs. Um, And and you can look at the sectors where the declines occurred. You can look at construction. You can look at at, uh, 
lots of different aspects of the structure of payroll jobs. You also tomorrow will get the household survey where they call up 50,000 households. I'm not sure of the exact sample size, but they call them up and they say, do you have a job? Uh, are you looking for work? Uh, are you working for pay and profit in, uh, in a family enterprise? Uh, those two surveys, when combined, give you a pretty detailed picture of who's being laid off, who's employed, who's unemployed, and how many payroll jobs there are. Uh, you get a little more accurate data from the establishment survey, but when you put the two together, it provides a lot more detail uh, than this, the payroll the um, the initial claims data, which is just a number. So who, who's making those phone calls? Is that... It's a Bureau of Labor Statistics. They just have a bunch of guys in yeah. a room in a call center? Yeah, absolutely. And they, they have very specific questions. They do it during the Wednesday that contains the 12th of the month, I believe, the week that contains the 12th of the month. And it's, it's done very specifically, and it's been done consistently for a long time. So it, movements in that that persist over a period of months are, are really reflecting what's happening, and they're not very difficult to understand. You can log on to bls.gov. The release comes out in the morning, and there's four pages of, of, of tables that are not very complex, actually. Okay, so this is something the you don't have to have a PhD. You don't in. have to have a PhD, and, and, and the average Joe can actually log on there and look and see how many jobs were lost in which sector and, and in which parts of the country, and it has some data breakdowns for whites and blacks and and, and Hispanics and youth and male and female. So, yeah, and... so it's 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 quite readable. Okay, and um, when you say payroll, you you just mean people who get a paycheck as opposed to people who are, you know. What's non-payroll? Well, pay, self-employed. Self-employed. So okay. I'm a real estate broker, and uh, I'm working one week, and I'm not the next. I don't show up in the establishment data because I'm an independent contractor. And if I'm an independent contractor, I, I'm only counted in the household survey, which asks me, do I have a job or don't I? So, so the other thing that I find confusing, I mean, I think before I delved into economics, um, you know, I think like probably most people, I sort of thought, all right, there's whatever there is, 150 million people in the workforce in the U.S. And, you know, maybe that grows every every yep. year because yep. kids are graduating high school and other people are retiring. But it basically, does. it's a reasonably stable number. And some of them are working and some of them are unemployed. But right. then I learned it's a lot more complicated than that. Yes, yes. I mean, you have... First of all, employed is defined as working one hour. <laughs> so people who are partially employed are considered employed. So it, 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 although they report underemployed, uh, people who are would like to work longer hours than they are, um, it, it suffers from that problem. And I just heard a wonderful interview with Eric Rauchway, this historian of the New Deal, who was he was talking about how you know we always hear about twenty five percent unemployment during the Depression, but he said it was much worse than that because there was a lot of people who were underemployed, Discour who, underemployed, and discouraged workers who drop out of the labor force. So, and, and can we get at the discouraged workers? Explain that. Sure. I mean, if you have a first of all, the unemployment rate is the number unemployed as a fraction of the workforce. But the workforce is self-defined. That is, I declare myself to be in the workforce if I'm looking for work. And if, if, if I'm unemployed, I don't have a job, but I have to be looking for work. If I'm in school or I'm raising kids or I'm painting my house and not looking for a job, uh, I'm, not, I'm not considered unemployed. I'm out of the workforce. So in bad periods when... Um, when the unemployment rate starts to rise or rises substantially, people will drop out because they're discouraged. That actually makes the unemployment rate go down. 
There's so, more yeah. people who I would call unemployed in a non-technical way. There's more people out of work, but so many of them are despairing and miserable that they're not even bothering to... When, when they stop looking, they're not in the workforce. And so if they're out of the workforce, they're not considered unemployed. Wow. Now, that seems nuts to me because that's not capturing an important part well, of the well, economy. But, but if, if you get the data and the payroll jobs have been shrinking for a long time and all of a sudden the unemployment rate goes down. So there's fewer jobs, which means you would think the unemployment rate would go up, right, but, but, but the opposite happens. Right. Then what you do is you look at the labor force. And if the labor force has declined substantially, you know that's what they call the discouraged worker effect. I see. So, so, and, and I'd imagine in a long, deep recession, you have an awful lot of discouraged workers. Yes, you do. Now, you know, I've heard you know, the unemployment rate not that long ago was below 5%. It's now above 6%. Um, I've heard talk that it could rise as high as 10% during this recession. Yep. How does that, you know... I, those are not huge numbers compared to the depression compared to I, I would I lived in Iraq for a while as a reporter. And for a while, they were talking about an unemployment rate above 40 yeah. percent. Um, how does 10 percent feel? Will I notice that? Will it feel differently to depends, live in? A... Ten, depends if you're one of the 10 percent. Well, yeah, certainly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it really does. I mean, the 10 percent is a lot of people. It's a lot of misery, believe it or not. Um, you know, that's it's, uh, 15 million people, potentially, if it's 150 million in the workforce. So you have 15 million people who don't have a job, who are trying to pay their mortgages, take care of their families, pay tuition. And it, it, has, it sends reverberations around th- through the economy. And it, it's very painful, even though it sounds like it's not a big number. So 5% unemployment country is a different country than a 10% unemployment country. Absolutely. You, Absolutely. You and know there's it. lots of stuff that goes with it. Higher crime rate. Um, all kinds of things that have more people on, on wait lists for public housing, more homeless, more poverty, less tax revenue, fewer things that government can do. Uh, going up 5% is a big deal. Do you think we will? Go up 5% from here? Yeah, or Yeah, go up to around 10%. Or... I think there's a very good chance it will, but I, I, I probably wouldn't bet even on it it goes over 10 I, mean, I think I can, you can only say that there's a lot of uncertainty, and, and certainly the potential for a very bad landing is, is, is there. And the other thing that I learned that, that really surprised me, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a person of my time. I've had many jobs. I've worked, you know, I'm not someone who thought I'd get a job and, and work there for 40 years like right. my grandfather did. But, but still, I, I did. Have, I did. You did. <laughs> You've worked at Wellesley forever? 31 years. 31 years. Wow. Um, but, uh, you know, but—, but you know, but I figure most people have a job for a year or two sure. or five. But I was surprised to see in, a, in an economy this big just how many people lose and gain jobs every yeah. week. I mean, it's, just, it's the nature of industry, nature of the businesses. I mean, you look at the, the, the dot-com bubble, the number of firms that are created. It's because awful lot of employment is take, it takes place by, by small firms being born and going out of business. And, and it's, it's in part the life cycle of the products we use now. Right before you bought a car, you bought a house, you had some consumer durables, a washing machine, and there was a limited amount of stuff you'd buy. Now we have, you know, iPhones and and uh, and, and all kinds of gadgets that become obsolete very quickly, and and it's a, it's a it's, it's the product mix, and also the service sector. An awful lot of this manufacturing has gone from 35 percent of the economy down to about 12. And and uh, so we're not making things anymore as much as we're making we're producing services. And in the service sector, there's a lot of 
expansion, contraction, small firms. So it's in the nature of the things we produce and the nature of the economy today relative to what it was 20 years ago. So, so the question is not, does anyone lose their job? The question is, does the economy overall create more jobs than are destroyed? Because we know there's going to be millions That's of exactly, jobs destroyed, That's right? exactly right. I, I testified in a court case one time where they asked me, you know, uh, didn't everybody know we were in a recession because of all the jobs being lost? So I put up a bunch of slides showing all these jobs being lost at a time when the economy was going crazy, up. So it is the net. It's the job creation net of job loss which tips the scale. And in a recessionary time, you get more job loss than you get jobs created. But that doesn't mean there aren't being jobs created. We're about to do this green stuff. It's going to employ a lot of people. In the meantime, there are other sectors, manufacturing, the automobile industry, the banking industry that's dumping people like flies. Right. So in all of this, I think, is the term churn and all of this constant up and down job creation, job destruction in a country this big, in an economy this dynamic, there is no one number. It's not like the government knows the answer and they're hiding it from us or the economists know the answer. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. There is no number. Um, they're just indicators, and we, we tend to rely on some that are more complicated than we know. <laughs> um, but but you, some people live on indicators, and the, the, the unemployment rate, the price of housing, there are lots of things that are, are complicated if you really want to understand them. But they give you an indication of what's happening. When unemployment's going up, things are bad. When unemployment's going down, things are better. And so it's not bad to have an indicator, but it's better if you understand it. Or at least, at the very least, understand that it's nothing more than a, a sampling, a hint of what's happening. It isn't what is happening. That's exactly right. Thank you to Carl Case of Wesley College. And thank you to you, our listeners. That is a wrap for Planet Money Today. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Laura Conaway. There's plenty more on our blog at npr.org slash money. With a lot of your friends waiting for the day your ship will come in and the tide.